0: Well, good evening. Merry Christmas to you. We're so glad you've decided to join us this weekend. We're looking forward to celebrating Christmas this evening and tomorrow evening here at Bridgewater Church. If this is your first time, we're super thankful you're here. Uh, we just think Christmas is a, is a one-of-a-kind type of celebration, and we are really, really glad to be able to enjoy celebrating it with you. Uh, Christmas is really an incredible celebration, if you think about it, all the different things that go into it, and uh, you might find your favorite in this list of things. You've got the friends that gather, maybe family, you've got gifts, you've got the food, might be my personal favorite. Uh, You've got all kinds of things, many of which you've probably already experienced, depending upon your family's rhythm. Some of them you are yet to experience this year, but have you ever stopped to wonder how we got here? How we got to the celebration of Christmas, because as we've been tracking along for the last few weeks in this series, the biblical story of Christmas, of Jesus' birth, is filled with all kinds of weird, strange, and unlikely events. Things that I think if we are around church or religious groups a lot, we hear things like uh, virgin birth or angel message or things like that, and we just assume that's a normal part of the story. But if you're not familiar with that, it kind of sounds like fantasy and fairy tale. But truthfully, many of the events that are a part of Jesus' birth weren't like warm and wonderful. They were painful and tragic. It was a very difficult time in the world, very difficult for Joseph and for Mary and even for Jesus himself. But here's what I've noticed in my short 42 years of life. Unlikely events tend to produce incredible celebrations, when it, when it just looks dark and something amazing happens, the celebration is even greater because it seemed so unlikely. I want to look back with you into history at a time when this is pictured for us really, really well. Because this isn't just something in the Bible or in, um, you know, fantasy and fairy tale folklore. It's also in the annals of history. Consider this account from the 1900s. I want to read this for you. Some of you might even be familiar with it. On Christmas Eve, 1914, in the dank, muddy trenches on the western front of the First World War, a remarkable thing happened. It came to be known as the Christmas Truce. It remains one of the most storied and strangest moments of the Great War or of any war in history. British machine gunner Bruce Barron's father wrote about it in his memoirs. Like most of his fellow infantrymen, he was spending the holiday eve shivering in the muck, trying to keep warm. He had spent a good part of the past few months fighting the Germans, and now, far from home in the country of Belgium, he was crouched in a trench that stretched just three feet deep by three feet wide. His days and nights marked by an endless cycle of sleeplessness and fear, stale stale biscuits and cigarettes too wet to light. At about 10 p.m., Barron's father noticed a noise. I listened, he recalled, away across the field among the dark shadows beyond. I could hear the murmur of voices. He turned to a fellow soldier in his trench and said, do you hear the Germans kicking up that racket over there? Yes, they've been at it some time. The Germans were singing carols as it was Christmas Eve. In the darkness, some of the British soldiers began to sing back. Suddenly, Baron's father recalled, we heard a confused shouting from the other side. We stopped to listen. The shout came again. The voice was from an enemy soldier speaking English, but with a strong German accent. And he was saying, come over here. One of the British sergeants answered, you come halfway, I come halfway. What had happened next would in years to come stun the world and make history. Enemy soldiers began to climb nervously out of their trenches to meet in the barbed-wire-filled no-man's land that separated the armies. Normally, British and Germans communicated across no-man's land with streaking bullets, only with occasional gentlemanly allowances to collect the dead. But now, there were handshakes and words of kindness. The soldiers traded songs, tobacco, and wine, joining in a spontaneous holiday party in the cold night. Then Christmas came. Another British soldier named John Ferguson recalled it this way. Here we were laughing and chatting to men whom only a few hours before we were trying to kill. One British fighter named Ernie Williams later described in an interview his recollection of some makeshift soccer play on what turned out to be an icy field. The ball appeared from somewhere, he said. I don't know where. They made up some goals and one fellow went in goal and then it was just a general kickabout. I think there were about a hundred taking part. Just how many soldiers participated in these informal holiday gatherings has been debated. There's no way to know for sure, since the ceasefires were small, haphazard, and totally unauthorized. But a Time Magazine story on the 100th anniversary claimed that as many as 100,000 people took part. What stands out most today, however, are the memories of the soldiers themselves preserved in their own penmanship. One British rifleman recounted a German soldier saying, "'Today we have peace.' Tomorrow, you fight for your country. I fight for mine. Good luck. As for Britain's Bruce Bruce Barron's father, he summed up the distinct historic moment this way. Looking back on it all, he said, I wouldn't have missed that unique and weird Christmas day for anything. It's just an example of something so dark, so difficult, so tragic in many ways, erupting in something really remarkable, really strange, and really amazing. And while we can look at history and see things like that happen, we can read uh, fiction tales and hear how things like this might happen, it seems if any of this kind of stuff is going to happen, it'll happen there, or it'll happen in someone else's life. Because it sure doesn't seem like it's going to happen in mine. And you might be thinking, yeah, it sure seems like that's the stuff for everybody else because I've yet to experience that. Yet the fact remains true because the good outcome seems so impossible that unlikely events tend to produce incredible celebrations. I want you just for a moment to take a look at this tree. Um, this tree, you know, we all have varying degrees of how we think the Christmas tree ought to look, but I think by and large they all kind of look the same. The it should be decorated well, whether you got colored lights or white lights or tinsel on there or some kind of streamer or ribbon. You could put a star or an angel on top. You've got the different types of decorations. Regardless of what your style is, they're all pretty much in a lineup going to look the same, I think. Now consider with me if this tree was your life. It's kind of like the way we like our lives to be. It's supposed to look normal. It's supposed to look regular. And, and, and if it's going to be different at all, it should be better. It should be more fancy. Uh, it, should, it should stand out for looking so good. You know, everything in its place. Think about the ornaments, these, these little, I don't know what you call these little ball things, but think about them as the events of your life. I think regardless of what your plan was for your life, we all had some sort of script of uh, how we thought our life was going to go. And so just imagine for me, you know, oh, we met and fell in love. How wonderful. We got engaged, and that belongs right there. Um, I landed that job, the job that I always wanted, the thing that I was kind of designed for. Yeah, I got that job. Oh, we, we got married. That one's back here. But we got married, and it was a storybook wedding. It was wonderful. And then that job that I had, oh, it was so great. I got a promotion. We, we gave birth to our first child. I continued to do well. My child actually finished high school. How amazing. And, and then maybe I think I've got enough to retire comfortably. I think that's kind of how most people imagine their life to go. You could change the little events, but basically there's a trajectory and it all points somewhere good. And that's That's what we want. And we want everything to be in its place and everything to make sense. Yet I think you being here is evidence of the fact that you know that's not the way things go. (laughs) You know that things rarely go according to plan. More often than not, life hands you other things, things that you wouldn't have chosen if you could have made the choice. You know that job that you were designed for? The one that it was just for you, and you were going to do it for the rest of your life, and then hand the company off to someone else? Yeah, you lost that job. And there it is, sitting on, sitting on the tree, and looking weird, and grabbing up all the attention. Maybe you just didn't have one of those. Maybe you had a couple. Maybe your storybook went at wedding, the marriage ended tragically in a divorce, and so there's that. What do you do with that? Maybe other things happened to you. Maybe you or someone you love got sick, maybe terminally ill. Maybe your life has just been marked by grief the whole time. Where are you going to put that? What do you do with that? See, I think whether you're religious or a person of faith or not, I think we all have this natural desire to want to make sense out of the events of our lives. And if we could choose... We absolutely would not choose these things. And the tragic thing, that's even, it's even worse that what happens is these things start to get all the attention. We can't even see our lives except through the lens of these tragic circumstances. The things that we don't want are all we see. We don't want to talk about it, but it's all we talk about. We don't want to post about it, but it's all we post about. They steal the spotlight and begin to define the story. Maybe you can relate. Now, all of that collides with the Christmas story because the Christmas story is God stepping down into the seeming randomness and difficulty of life and doing something amazing through a bunch of unlikely events that seem like they don't belong and producing an incredible outcome and demonstrating that these things are, in fact, a part of Of his plan, not a distraction from it, but an important part of it. And in the Christmas story in the Bible, none of the unlikely events that we've talked about or will talk about tonight steal the spotlight or define the story. They're there, but we gotta figure out what they're there for. So, what I wanna do tonight is work through some some excerpts of the biblical Christmas story, of some of the unlikely parts of God's plan. And ask some questions about what they're doing there and what God might've been at work doing using them. So here's just a few. Let's go first to Luke 1.35. This is the angel talking to Mary, giving her some news. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. That seems innocent enough, but think about it for a second. In the scope of world religions... Gods are big, they're strong, they're powerful. There's nothing they can't do, yet the God of the universe comes to earth as a tiny, helpless little baby. Now that seems weird. Why would that be? He he wasn't rich. There wasn't fanfare. He wasn't well-known. His family wasn't well-known. He was born to obscure people, in a strange part of the world, in obscurity, and a few shepherds in a field came to celebrate with him. For a God, any God, that seems out of place. Let's go next to Luke chapter 2, verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Okay, so let's just say we could wrap our mind around the fact that God became, uh, in Jesus, became a baby and was born to a, a young woman, this young man. For the earth that that God created to have no place for him, no room for him to enter the world, seems really, really strange. Born in a place where animals were expected to be. Just imagine how weird this had to have been for the animals. Imagine they didn't know what to do with it either. A little baby in the salad. I waited for you. Let's go next to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to do a few verses here. Verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars that rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. In verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. So here we have a king who's ruling Israel on behalf of the Roman Empire, a grown man, terrified, deeply disturbed of this little baby for whom there was no room. So terrified, so paranoid that he's going to have all the babies in the vicinity where Jesus was born killed. All the baby boys two years old and under. Then, then the parents of this God child, to to save their son, flee to a foreign country and await that ruler to die. Any of this stuff seem out of place to you? Seem weird for a God who's going to come save the world? I think it does. It's just highly unlikely. But that's not all. Because the Christmas story actually has an ending. It actually goes somewhere. Because the Christmas story ends with this baby Jesus living a life, growing to adulthood, and then dying a criminal's death for things he never did. And though highly unlikely, truth remains clear, the unlikely events that Jesus endured were for you. And they were for me. We're not the first people to wrestle with this. I think the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to his friends, the Romans, chapter 5, verse 18, must have been thinking along these lines somehow because here's what he said. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. This baby did something that provides a way for you and me to have a right relationship with God. No wonder an annual celebration has been taking place for the last 2,000 years. No wonder we give gifts. No wonder we celebrate with good food. No wonder we want people to be around because this is a big deal. And it seemed highly impractical, very improbable, extremely unlikely. The one The innocent one gave his life for the guilty. The sinless one gave his life so that sinners could be forgiven. Because the most unlikely events tend to produce the most incredible outcomes. The soldiers, a part of the Christmas truce of World War I, they could testify to that too. Mary and Joseph were here today. They could testify to that truth too. Oh, let me tell you, it was dark. We were running for our lives. Yet this baby grew, became a man, never sinned, and gave his life for everyone who did. That's Christmas. And here's what I know. I know there's not one single person among us whose life has not been touched with pain, marked by tragedy, and filled with difficulty. And we've worked to make sense out of those events, trying to figure out where they belong, what we're supposed to do with them. I mean, the Christmas story is full of the unlikely and covered with tragedy, and maybe you're here and saying, yeah, that's my life. You could describe my life that way too. But the story of Jesus' birth shows not only what God can do in all of that stuff, but through all of that stuff. Because the things that seem to be in the way of what God is doing are actually the pathway toward his doing it. This is what he does. You say your life isn't like you planned. Neither was Mary and Joseph's. Yet what God did through their life and the birth of Jesus shows his power through the events that we would like to do without. And with us, just as with Mary and Joseph, what if God is just gently getting your attention through the things that you don't want, the things that have been defining your life and taken up all the real estate. You see, for Mary and Joseph, the life they wanted was never meant to be defined by the painful, unlikely events. It was meant to be decorated by them. That's what God is doing. And this is true for you as well, because I think God is doing something far greater in our lives than this. Of all the Christmas trees, this is a rather pathetic one. Yet I think sometimes this is what we set our sights on when God has his mind on something more like this. You, of course, would recognize this as the New York City Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. 80 feet tall, 43 feet in diameter. How well do you think that tree could handle an ornament like this or this? I think they'd fit right in, don't you? So just maybe this Christmas, we need to recognize that God is at work doing something far greater than what we thought. We settle for far too little when God is doing so much more. You see, here's what I believe the Christmas story reveals to us about God. I think God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. I don't think God was watching the tragic events and applauding and like, yeah, give it to him but I think God is loving and powerful enough to use the things that you and I would rather do without to accomplish the kind of redemption that he loves. You see, I think God is in your pain and disappointment, your trials and your tragedy, and I think he's gently summoning you to himself, getting your attention, saying, look here, you've set your sights too low. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing I think if God can bring salvation through the unlikely, seemingly ill-timed events of Jesus' life, I think he can use your difficult experiences that you have yet to make sense out of to accomplish something amazing in your life. And I wonder, I wonder if you would offer up your life to him and say, I'm done. This is not about me. I can't make heads or tails of it. But tonight I'm trusting you. Please save me and use the events of my life to accomplish something amazing. Won't you receive the unlikely gift of God's forgiveness? Here's what I like to do. I want to pray, and in this prayer, you can pray along with me if, for the first time, you tonight would say, I need to receive that forgiveness. I need God to take control of my life. I don't know what this is, I'm going to give it to him and just trust him with it. I wonder if for the first time you would make that decision tonight, you would pray this along with me. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for the unlikely birth of Jesus, but thank you that Christmas was only the beginning because he was born to be my savior. I need your forgiveness for my sin that Jesus provided for me through his death. Thank you for Jesus and the work he accomplished on my behalf. I believe that Jesus died for me, and I trust that you have forgiven me through him. Help me now to live for you, and I want to thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.